Hello everyone and welcome to the Constructed Criticism Network. This network is here to help you improve in Magic the Gathering at every level. From popper leagues to top 1000 mythic, we've got you covered. If you want to hear the entire network, head on over to our sponsor at puremtgo.com where you can hear each and every show, each and every week, and check out their sponsor, MDGO Traders, and tell them that the CCMTG Network sent you. Now sit back, enjoy the show, from YouTube, podcasts, and more, here's this week's episode from ConstructedCriticism.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 454 of Constructed Criticism. I'm your host, Easy, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, a man that is in a fight with Google Fiber, Mason Clark. It never stops. And a man that uh, I that is would be excited to learn that I did, in fact, find beanies that we could make for the swag store, Ape Sign. I am excited about that. So much so that my cough came back. <laughs> I'm so excited that I'm literally dying. Uh, dude, Abe, I texted you this week because I listened to the podcast. I also edited the podcast. I was like, dude, I hope you're doing good. How are you doing? The listeners got to know. Um, yeah, cough update. I am still coughing a lot. My chest still hurts, but we're, we're hanging in there. I did. I will get to an always improving. I did a lot of resting this week. It was really nice. <laughs> well, speaking of always improving, it is Mason's turn to go first. Always improving is the point of the show. We want to be getting better all the time. We want to be doing what we can to be trying to improve. It's a never-ending process that always improving life. Mason, why don't you talk about your moments in always improving this week? Yeah, so my sort of moment from the last week or so is sort of when to really focus on what I can control and, once again, not caring about things I can't control. So, like, in Magic, there are a lot of things that you can't control in a turn, right? Like, you can't really control your draw set most of the time. You have lots of random variants. You can't control the decks your opponents are playing. You can't control the top decks over da 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 These are just things that are normal parts of Magic. And it's important to remember that you can't control variants and things are going to not go your way. And so you should work and focus on the things that you can control because those are things you can actually put time into. And it, there are so many things that I could be doing so much better that there's no point in me even thinking about, uh, excuse me, a bad variance of something happening in a game. So, for example, I played a little local event yesterday. I made a play where the only way I could get punished was if I drew my fourth Dwarven Mine off the top, and I, I could fetch right now for the third one. I decided to fetch for the third one because I thought it was better across the aggregate after thinking about it. I draw for turn. It's, of course, the fourth Dwarven Mine. Whatever, we continue playing the game. I end up winning the game, like, 15 turns later. So those sort of small little decisions uh, do matter, but I don't care about this variance because there's so many other things that I could be improving on when it comes to sequencing, land tapping things in my turn, paying attention to how my opponents are playing, all these other little things. And I have so many things that I am still not like at a mastery level of without having to actively put in you know, a bunch of active thought that I need to be focusing on those things. There's no point spending any time on things I can't control because I can't control those things. Uh. One, this has been my always improving moment a lot of the time of this podcast, but I would like to give a warning to listeners of the damage that can come to your mental health by not recognizing when it was out of your control. And so what I think that what Mason's saying doesn't do that, but I also want to say like when it was in fact out of your control, it is kind of the, the premise of what Mason is saying in a lot of ways, right? Like, 
you don't care about it, it doesn't affect you, is the point here. Not always find the other thing, it's that when it is variance, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, like, my, my response to people who get mad about variance is kind of grow up. It happens, and, like, you can't control those things, right? And, like, it's just important to, really what I'm saying is there's so many more things that I should be worrying about that the idea of, like, the bigger field and like, oh, I hit this deck that's so unlucky, whatever, da, da, da. even those little things, uh, not even like in, because like in the game variance, like never bugs me really. It's just like kind of is what it is. It can be a little frustrating in a moment, but it happens, you know, we move on. Now I've played Magic before, but like, you know, even, even things like outside the game of like, oh, you know, these are things are happening, uh, like opponent deck selection or like they have some crazy sideboard card or they boarded, you know, suboptimally it ends up working out for them in the one in a million chance, like whatever, who cares? I have things I could be working on. There's no point putting any energy into that. There are things I can be doing. So that's the always improving moment. Yeah, and I want to say inherently like to what Spencer is saying that part of that for you, Mason, right, is knowing what and identifying correctly what isn't isn't in your control. And I feel like when you right if that's something that's a mindset that you take, if you don't take the time to make sure you're identifying those things correctly and you're trying to attribute things that are in your control um, in both ways, right? It hurts. If you're attributing things that are in your control to being out of your control, you're missing opportunities. But if you're attributing things that are out of your control to being in your control, then you're beating yourself up for no reason. And so it's just an important balance to have, but a really important one. Cause when you do that correctly, right. Then you're actually just making sure all of your effort is focused and on where that's just you when you make gains, right? Like, that that those are the moments and i really love what mason said because i think mason is in the point he's a magic career, he's doing this really well is that those are the moments where you make the biggest gains where you no longer are focusing on things out of your control in your control and it's like that circle of influence type of thing that happens like in psychology a lot that you get to attribute to magic so mm -hmm. uh I'll go oh go ahead i was gonna say what are your always improving moments Oh yeah, I, for me, like I, I missed last week. Um, I just want to give a shout out to these guys. Uh, we, I, I already wanted to take the week off, and then I got super freaking sick. Um, and I, it was these guys. I, I thought that I was going to have to record on a different day and like you know try to make it through all kinds of stuff. These guys just you know really helped me through it. I just really appreciate it. But, um. For me, I've been working through Pioneer. I, I got to play uh, quite a bit uh, this week. For example, I played a league of the newish. Like, I, I think the deck, the we played the first place list from the challenge, which is I think based on a Jesse deck. Um, and then I also just have played a ton of overall creativity, talking with Mason about the deck in the last two weeks. Um, and then one of the things I was trying to do is kind of look at the decks that I wanted to play and that I thought I would enjoy for the RCQ and the decks that I had access to. And then kind of like, as we look at seasonal magic, you know, what, how should I spend my time? So the decks that I had access to, just just for context, were Creativity, uh, Blue White, Red Black, Mono Green, Hidden Strings, Mono White Humans, uh, Flappy Is It Birds, uh, Lotus Combo, and Spirits. And the decks that I wanted to try were Gruel, Monogreen, Creativity, and Spirits. So I've already played some Blue-White. I've already played some Gruel. I've already played some Monogreen. I've already played some Spirits. So I spent some time really focusing on creativity um, to 
get to the level of competency that I feel like I have with the other decks that I was interested in. And I learned a lot. Like, uh, you know, I, I honestly like think that I learned more about um, this style of like blue reddish control than like I would have expected. I, I'm really good at combo control. But because the deck no longer plays, like, the two-card combo, and also because the two-card combo, like, is really a one-card combo in Pioneer, it plays a lot differently than, like, the typical combo control decks that I would play. Um, and it was it was really interesting. I, I think this deck helped me on multiple levels. Um, and we'll, we'll kind of talk about that when we get into our main topic. Uh, but I've also just moved off of it. Like, not that, like, I'm not willing to play it. Actually, going to play it at an RCQ this weekend, but I uh, I'm interested in buying the kind of the gruel style decks in different uh, ways to have like another pioneer deck that I own during this season, and because of that, uh, kind of focusing on gruel. But I only get to do that because of you know spending a week and a half really focusing and dialed in on like learning an archetype, and uh, when I say that like. I have I started to see plays that I only saw because I played the deck a bunch. And I think that it's really easy to think that you're going to pick up a deck and immediately see plays. But I wasn't willing to move off of it until I started winning. Like, every one of my league, my leagues on Arena has been 4-1. I'm going to move that deck onto MTGO and go to uh, Gruel on Arena for now. And kind of, like, siphon through my decks that way as I as I learn the format, so... Um, yeah, those are, it's mine. Any thoughts on that before we move on, Dave? Abraham? I'm a little curious. Oh, go ahead. I'm a little curious about, um, you mentioned wanting to kind of move off creativity. Why are you playing it on Arena then? I'm sorry, why are you playing it on MTGF now if you're feeling uh, like sorry, that's not where you want? Yeah, I think that it was not clear. I'm not moving on. I'm literally playing creativity this weekend on, uh, in my RCQ. I'm, I am saying that I am moving, I am like, I have practiced enough to now bet on myself on MTG. Gotcha. Okay. Right, so move it off of the plate of, move like, it off of just playing games yeah, of the deck exactly. kind of in structure, even against like not necessarily pioneer opponents in, in Explorer, um, but like in Explorer, like getting to understand like how I, how the deck should sideboard. What's really interesting is Explorer is really, really close but it's not like 100% there yet. And so the metagame is different, but the decks are the same, if that makes sense. Uh, so it's like a really good way to like test out an archetype before you spend money on it. Uh, or not like bet money on it, I guess, in this way. But that that's kind of how I'm approaching the season. I If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But that is what I meant. I, I am, in fact, playing Creativity this weekend at the RCQ. Yeah, I'm definitely really interested in how that process goes for you as far as like once you were able to look at it in retrospective yeah. of like playing it then in, yeah, in paper and on and on mtgo of like how different are things really and what like your your feeling of quality is from those games yeah i i i, I will say that i have one of the reasons that i'm moving and i'll just say this because i think i can already say it the standard metagame in events for the rcq was really high uh on arena like, it, it was actually really good. I, I felt like I was playing against other RCQ players quite a bit. I have not felt that way in Pioneer. 
Uh, I say I am for wanting every league, but it feels like at least one match of every league is literally a nonsensical deck. Um, and I, I do have a problem with that. So yeah, it's definitely definitely a bit of a challenge. Um, my always improving moment this week uh, was actually just around like giving myself space to rest, but also not just making it take my week out. Like, like I was saying during the show, I've been pretty sick and this cough has actually been like pretty killer. Um, so, you know, I was planning on originally, I was planning on going to RSQ over the weekend, um, playing a bunch of magic, drafting a bunch of the new set, uh, which has been really, really fun when I've had a chance to, but overall, like between just the exhaustion of keeping up with the rest of my life while also being under the weather, um, I was really just not feeling it come the time that I had set aside to play magic. So I kind of shifted gears towards um, just identifying the places in my process where I'm going to like doing the, the kind of the brain work of, all right, this is what I'm seeing that's new as a result of the new set release. This is what I'm going to need to make sure I'm up on, um, you know, come the time that I'm actually back to playing tournaments, uh, come the RC and, uh, and come the RSQ season. Like what are, the decks I'm gonna need to learn about, <laughs> what are the new ideas I'm exploring, um, you know, where is it I'm spending my time, and that really made me feel like, you know, once I am able to at that next pocket of time and be able to really commit, um, feeling a lot more motivated to do it as opposed to had I kind of trudged on with, um, you know, playing on days where I was not a hundred percent at all um, and really was like not feeling it. Uh, I feel like that would have taken the wind out of my sails in the way that this kind of put put wind back into it. So I'm really excited to be healthy again and have time uh, over the weekend to play some and I, and really get back on track. I I this was really similar to what was almost my always improving moment for what's worth Ape because I specifically didn't play an RCQ this weekend so that I could go to my son's first soccer game for his like you know seven year old season. But like I was like you know what like. I could probably do both, but I would be stressed out. And I think that one of the things that I've learned is that playing Magic in, like, a bad state at, like, the RCQ level is such a miserable experience that you're going to get another shot. You're getting another chance. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad that you talked about that today. So. Uh, yeah, resting is important as practicing well. You got to rest well, too. I agree. Uh, our first, uh, our next segment, uh, we would like to give a shout out to all of our new patrons. This week, we have Sarah, Mikey, and Turner. Thank you so much to each of you uh, as our newest patrons. It means the world to us every time we get those notifications. Um, one of the cool things that all of these patrons have access to at the level that they got is the Discord, where we have daily conversations. We have... Um, you know, metagame discussions. We've got Mikey talking about blue white. Um, you know, we've got, you know, high level judges in there to ask judge questions too. It's a really cool place to kind of just be always improving in. And we really appreciate these newest patrons uh, for being a part of that conversation. With that being said, uh, if you want to support the podcast directly, Patreon is a great way to do it. But also, the swag store has been updated. Um, you know, just. You go in there, you now have access to new shirts, a new swag, um, tons of things. Uh, we actually saw people with swag 
at the RCQ, it was a really cool, or the, sorry, the, the RC. Um, and I hope that we can see more people supporting the show that way. Uh, we try not to make too much off of this. This is really a way to allow people to get cool swag uh, by, while supporting the podcast just a little bit. So that being said, let's go into our main topic. It is going to be seasonal preparation. So um, if, if, if you're feeling okay, I would love you to talk about like, why did this topic come up and like, what are seasons in Magic the Gathering? Yeah, so um, seasons are kind of the, we're, we're returning to the old ways in terms of how the RC is going to be structured. And in this case, we're referring to a season. Uh, this is going to be referring to when during a stretch of RCQs, there's going to be one constructed format and the limited format of the latest set that is going to be what the RCQs are. And that's just going to be what it is for the entire qualifying stretch until that corresponding RC. And it's really a big change from uh, where we were before was kind of whatever the store wanted to run uh, among the major construct formats. That was what the format was for the RCQ. So if you were playing locally, you kind of had to look at the schedule, see what events there were, see what formats there were, um, and then prepare accordingly. Now you get the uh, you get the option and not, not, you get the opportunity to just focus on one format for the entirety of the qualifying season for all of the RCQs of that season and really hone in on winning at that format and understanding that format to then qualify to the next rung, which means that your time, like I, I know that that's something that we all talked about when the announcement was made of why we like the announcement so much is that all of us were kind of even in the position of, despite having a lot of experience in magic and, and, playing a bunch, not really being able to allocate our time in a really focused manner towards each of the formats and kind of picking something up um, week to week when it was like between modern pioneer and whatever now. And for this season, you just get to focus on that format in this case, pioneer um, and just have your deck and go for it. So um, yeah. does that cover for you? Yeah, no, it, it really does. And like, honestly, it helps this podcast a lot, right? Like, we get to focus on Pioneer right now as it is Pioneer season. It really helps constructive criticism give you all the best content possible. And I think the way that we think about how this will work, I, I think, Abe, you covered a lot of this, but, like, stores will be able to offer you sealed or constructed. I They'll be able to offer the most recent standard format or Lord of the Rings, which will be interesting. Um... So this one will be a little bit different, but they will only be able to offer Pioneer as a constructed format. And then, uh, as far as we've been told, this hasn't changed yet, the tournament you're qualifying for will also be the format of the constructed format that you're playing. Um, which is really cool. It's, it's, it's really awesome. Um, one of the things that we want to talk about going into this is how to manage time. And Mason... Um, I want you to kind of talk about a tweet that I really liked for this podcast in talking about time management. Uh, if you want to take a second, and I'll put it yeah, in, sure. I'll put it in the show notes for what it's worth. Yeah, so I, I just made a tweet last week. The poll is basically like a hypothetical scenario of you know it's one week before your RC uh, that you're qualified for. All signs point to some deck being the best deck, but you and basically the community perceive the deck as being very challenging to play. You haven't played the deck much before now. What would you do? 
would you register the deck that is the perceived hard deck but the best deck or would you try to metagame against it um and it is something that you know i sort of was sparked by the, the past rc but it's applicable to a lot of different areas in magic and it's like a pretty interesting sort of thought idea like what would you do in these sort of spots yeah i mean for me my one part of my always improving moment in learning creativity was i i think that deck was really hard to learn especially like if you are familiar with creativity decks and other formats, I played creativity in, uh, is it historic had the creativity deck? Well, there was a format that had a creativity deck um, with, with uh, I've also played it in modern. And it, this this version is very different. It's very hard. There's lots of different choices. And so this, this tweet really registered with me. And it's funny because if you look at the screenshot in the show notes, I, I said I would register the deck. Um, I, like, for example, I registered Mono White because I thought it was the best deck at this last RC. Um, however, I think that there were a lot of people that thought, uh, you know, whether it be Rakdos or Esper Legends were the best deck. And one of the things that we'll talk about during this um, and how this applies, uh, we'll get into this now, is that I think a week is a lot longer than people realize if your time is spent trying to learn a deck. I just said I spent a week and a half on Creativity Ape, and I have less time than a lot of people. Like, I, I have a full-time job. I have two kids. I have podcasts. Like, I, I think people underestimate how much time a week is to learn a deck in a proficient manner if that is your sole goal. Yeah, I mean, I think that it also depends on how you define learning a deck and what your goals are, right? Like, I could see... You know, if I if I had to pick up Lotus Field for an RCQ at the end of the week this week, I would have to be really, really smart with my time to be able to do that, right? Like, if you're playing something with a lot of intricate, specific, you know, moving pieces, that's a lot. But if you're talking about something that might be a little more, um, a little more, not to say generic, but, you know, just something that has a little bit more of a fair and and repeatable game plan across a lot of games of magic, right? If I wanted to play Gruul or I wanted to play, you know, Red Black, I would have to know a lot about the nuance of what I'm going to be encountering. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily need to have a lot of time or a lot of specific knowledge to be learned. Yeah. I want to challenge you though, because I think those are different sides of the same coin, right? On the, like you say, you use Gruul and Red Black, and I guess those are really good examples of where you need to know what your opponent is doing a lot. And you need to know the metagame a lot to pick your deck list. Whereas a deck like um, a deck like Lotus Field, you need to know your game plan a lot and what your opponent's going to do to disrupt you. But it you, the, it doesn't change a lot depending on the metagame as far as your deck building, right? Right. And but that's the thing is I think that when when you talk about learning a deck, right? I think that most people think about um, you know knowing what to do on your turns with your cards and your mana right knowing how to use your resources and like i mean i've i've got friends who have one gps and we were we were hanging out and they were like playing a match of lotus field and talking through it and i was like trying to help them figure out how to play it because neither of us really had experience doing it they're like yeah i like three to this league because i think in probably five of my games i just had no idea what was going on um, right. And so, so getting that level of comfort, not every deck is like that, right? If, uh, the same player were to pick up, um, you know, red, black rule, it's a lot easier to identify that and to spend time 
you know, and it all comes down to how you spend the time, right? If you're learning something like Lotus Field, it can be, you know, I need to spend the time understanding how I'm using my cards. Whereas if I'm playing something like Red, Black, or Rule, I need to understand what exchanges are important and what my goals are Dude, on turns. It, it's matches, it's right? so funny because as you're talking, uh, sorry, I wasn't trying to interrupt you. You uh, you were finishing a thought and then I... That was, that was the end of my point. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, as you were talking, I was thinking, oh my gosh, we're now defining like why Abe and I constantly say how easy control is to learn and pick up compared to other decks where it becomes, that's a flowchart deck, right? And I'm kind of curious, Mason, where you sit on, like, obviously you had your own intention with this tweet, but how do you think this tweet might apply to somebody that's like, let's say they have as many options as Spencer had, or let's say they had half the options that Spencer had. How how does this tweet apply to, like, learning a deck for your RCQ? Well, I... First, I, I think the, the main thing that this sort of um, jumped out to me, and it also, like, you know, we talked a little bit before the show, and I forgot to mention the other part of it, and I'll, you know, I will just mention it here because she's a friend. I think she can handle it. So, but the other thing that sort of sparked this was my friend Ash Shudder on Twitter, and she, like, acknowledged and made a tweet that was like, hey, you know, I think Esper's really good, maybe the best deck, but I just, I can't learn it in a week and a half or whatever for the RCQ. I'm sorry, for the RC proper. Um and instead, you know, she like switched decks a whole bunch and up in a weird spot. I, I think that, you know, if you're going to an event like this, and I specifically also made it the RC, um, where it's kind of an event that you're traveling to, it's a destination event. If it's like a big thing to you, uh, and that goal might change for other people for it's worth, right? Like your local RC queue that's like, you know, 10 minutes from your house might be the only one you can play all season. That might be an equivalent style event for you. And that's totally valid. The metrics change for everyone. I was just trying to paint with a broad brush. Um, but, you know, if you had something like that, I think you should go after whatever you think is the best and not avoid the challenge. She sort of did, and I, I think got punished accordingly, not putting in enough time uh, in that sort of spot there. Um, and, you know, that's just a moment for her to learn and improve from and go on. We've all had those moments. So I sort of think, you know, if you have an event coming up and you have a lot of decks to choose from, you know, the good thing about it being pioneer season is that there is time to play other decks and learn things, but you should go with whatever deck is, you know, the best deck for you to succeed with um and you should go accordingly and the idea specifically of the tweet is that you can metagame against it implies that you actually can learn the deck right if you think you can metagame against the deck typically involves knowing the deck pretty well maybe you know some things like esper legends for example has a lot of looting so you know from a strategic level you can understand esper legends uh and metagame against it but maybe not play it very well but that's not going to be the case for every deck and you know i think the example that sparked this tweet sort of breaks its rule but That'd be sort of my thoughts on it, regardless of the number of decks you have. Well, it's so funny because I think that what you just said uh, applies both, both to our next point and then something that Abe and I just discussed in that, you know, using your time for your needs and like applying that. Abe mentioned Gruel and, uh, and Red Black. And, and the funny thing is, is like I mentioned, well, those are the reverse side of the same coin as a combo deck, right? Like the combo deck needs to know this part. You know this part, but both are technically trying to learn some portion of both sides of the coin in order to get to the end result that they want. Um, and the, I don't know. I just thought it was really interesting the way that you put that. Uh, if you wanted to say something there for a second, I wanted to give you that time. Yeah, I mean, I think that when it comes down to it, right, like 
in reference to Mason's tweet of, uh, you know, you have, you have a week, right? Um, when it comes to having the season to work with, you kind of always and never have that week, if that makes sense, where you always have the opportunity to really say, okay, I need to take an entirely different approach. I need to learn something new um, and focus your time on that. But you also, um, you also know that week's coming the next week too. So the, the time view is, can be also really long and really short. And um, when you're thinking about that in terms of how you're preparing for a season, uh, it really comes down to how is it that you are aligning the usage of your time with your goals in terms of whatever decks you're learning, right? Like you might get a lot out of, for Pioneer as the example, because that's the season we're in, you might get a lot out of understanding playing Lotus Field in order to understand disrupting Lotus Field, right? If that's something you're having trouble with in terms of all the other decks you're, you might actually be more interested in playing, spending a little time understanding things from Lotus Field side might be the best use of your time that week to improve your performance at the event with whatever deck you play. Vice versa, you might get more out of playing, um, you know, playing a lot of Gruul as a red-black player to kind of understand presenting threats to the format more as opposed to presenting answers to things. And it can, it all really comes down to allocating your time in a way that makes it so that you are showing up with the deck that you should be showing up with as opposed to kind of misusing that time or putting it in places that don't lead to your being productive in the way that, like Mason was saying, if you understand it well enough to metagame against it, maybe you should have just played it because you have to have that understanding and you kind of get more opportunity to leverage that understanding because you're in a season and not just in one week. Yeah, it's almost like each week is a challenge to be always improving, and I really like what you, the way you said that there, Abe. I want to quickly touch before we move off of this on how limited equates on to this time management, and I, I'll just say my thoughts on it, and then if you guys want to give yours, it's totally fine. Uh, one of the things that I really like about Seasonal Magic is that it actually lets me play more limited as a person that has a constructed podcast, because I can go look at my RCC's, our RCQ schedule, sorry, and I can see like, okay, here are my limited events. So I need to play some limited by this time, or I could skip the first one. And then all of my downtime, like time where I'm like, I my, I'm banging my head against a wall in Pioneer with this deck. I need a break, but I still want to flex my magic muscles can then be dedicated to limited. And that already will give me a leg up against a lot of players. They won't give you a leg up against the limited players. And I want to be clear that, like, you're not going to go beat the limited grinder that's played 500 drafts of every limited set by doing this. But what you will do is you'll flex your magic muscles. You'll still get to do this and, like, kind of have a fun format in magic that isn't, like, well, I'm going to go play standard now, or I'm going to go play like this other constructed format now that gives me no benefit. You still get to just go have fun doing a thing that flexes different magic muscles and, you know, is going to help you as long as it's a part of your schedule. And also, I just think that it's a more healthy way to consume magic. So that's my thought. If you were nodding your head a bunch, I'd love your thoughts. Um, Yeah, I mean, I love limited. I'm a limited guy. I think you can either embrace it and be like, I want to, I want to engage with limited if you're really just being serious about qualifying, or you can kind of say that it's not something you're really going to care about. And maybe you'll take your shot if like the event lines up for you. But 
I find that overall, just having another place to um, to be able to put your attention, at least for me, it always helps be able to put down the problems I'm working with um, to like have another thing to work on. So I don't know. I mean, you can get a lot of good information and be a very, very, I want to push back a little bit against what you just said about um, not being able to beat the limited guy who plays like 500 matches or whatever, and you're not that person. You can learn a lot about the format. There's a lot of really good resources out there to really understand a limited format and often in better understanding, um, you know, some aspects of some limited formats, you might even gain insights that help you in, in other constructed formats or other applications. Um, like I know that I've learned a lot that I've applied to other games or like other formats from just listening to drafting archetypes uh, for the same reason. So love the network plug Mason. You actually, um, you were a lot like me in the way that we both started magic where we were like constructed guys first. I'm kind of curious, mm -hmm. like as seasonable MTG approaches, uh, the, I don't know if Tennessee has limited, like Utah's going to have limited, but I'm, I'm kind of curious your thoughts here. <laughs> I can tell you I'm driving two hours to not play a 40-minute-away limited RCQ this Saturday. Okay, so they, they will they will have the limited. the limited. Well, RCQ. we have exactly one. It's this next Saturday. Uh, okay. Yeah, uh, and basically everyone's not going to it. So I'm curious to see if there will be more. Uh, I'm sure there will be some people that go to it, but everyone that I know is kind of avoiding it. Um, but, yeah, uh, that also, to be, to be fair, there's also a charity modern RCQ that's going on with the destination event. So, like, you know. Some of it's about that. Some of it's about limited. Um, but yeah, for me, like when you talk about like gathering information about this, um, I personally like get to slack a bunch more, which is great. Like I don't have to be as caught up on everything because I've put in time for Pioneer and older formats move slower. You know, now we're beginning of a new set and we have another new set coming out soon. So that's going to change things up. And I have the RC coming. But for me, it's like, I don't have to be as on top of everything right now all the time um, if I don't want to be because, you know, I'm going to be, everyone's moving in the same direction. I can follow the other content that people are creating. I can absorb that way. I don't need to be on like the cutting edge in like the same exact way up until the RC. So like right now and, and until Aftermath comes out, you know, I'm kind of taking a, a more casual approach to Pioneer and like really exploring the more fringe stuff in the format, you know, like, do a lot of Rona combo and like a lot of don't do that. I need more No, is great. Um, I'm glad. I happily bought my cards. Did you but really? Yeah, you know, I yeah. We should we start after the podcast. We uh we played a league of that, and it. I I would be interested to know your thoughts. Sure. Yeah. No, that's good. Um, it's not broken or anything, but it's like totally fine. It's just not the best deck to playing, I think. Um, but yeah, like, you know, uh, I've been. My and I you know that we've I think uh we talked about this not on the show but in private where it's like I've never had seasonal play, I've always lived in the chaos of like all right, this week it's modern, next week it's pioneer, then it's standard back to modern pioneer, standard modern, modern pioneer. And I'm interested to sort of see how it goes because you know it's gonna be interesting where it's like especially from a content point of like, oh, everything is pioneer from now until you know, end of the summer. How does that change things, you know? So it's so much better, Mason, as somebody that's lived in both. It's smooth yeah. sailing. <laughs> it's not no. boring. Don't do that. Well, I'm just being honest. You know, I, I think that I think that one of the things that no, I you can be honest. Like you know, you've lived in the chaos. You probably enjoy the chaos more than I do too. 
I, I oh yeah, it, I love that it's always different. Yeah, it's great. I, I think that one of the things for for me is like I get to get really granular. Like I get to go. I I often have to approach formats from like a macro perspective, and I get to go really micro when we get to this level. You know, one of the pieces of feedback was about my thoughts on Pioneer like months ago, and I had to approach Pioneer from a macro perspective, and you know, I, I gave some comments that were micro, and. I think that for me as a content creator, like this really excites me. And I, I think that it actually goes into our next segment on how to gather info. And I think that resources will be really valuable now. And I I think that before, uh, this will ju- I'll just go first on this one. Resources were really hard to know who to trust before. Because everybody had their own approach and everybody had their own agenda when you didn't have seasonal MTG, right? Like they had their own things that they were working on because they enjoyed it or because they had family obligations or because they were qualified for a certain tournament or their own RCQ was this or their own RCQ was that. And so different types of content became, I mean, I'll just use Mason as an example. Mason uh, almost always focused on modern. Um you know, and that didn't that doesn't mean that his standard thoughts or his his pioneer thoughts were bad, but like, you know, if I was gonna go to somebody about modern, I would go to Mason. And if I was gonna go to somebody about Pioneer, I maybe I would go to somebody like uh, you know, our, our friend and our our colleague, uh Miss Plus Ginger. Maybe maybe that would be where I would go. And I think that like understanding the resources you have available now will, will become easier. Um, I don't know. I also think that like gathering deck lists becomes a lot easier because everyone's focused on the same thing. I don't know. I'll let you go next. Yeah. I mean, I think that when it comes to gathering info and getting good info over the course of seasons, it's something we're going to see kind of shake out. I think when it comes to content, but when everyone is playing the same format all the time and it's format that everyone's focused on, it is a lot harder to, uh, kind of sweep things under the rug when you are consistently wrong. And I think that, like, much to Misplaced Ninja's credit, he plays the best and most consistent deck in the format for playing events like RCQs, and he is incredibly consistent with what he is telling you to do and what will work and what he finds that works. Um, And that's why he's such a great source of information and a great content creator for the format. Right, is because it's a format that moves moves some, but moves slowly, and he knows all the things to do, and he figures it out, and you can trust his information. Um, but you're going to need to find other misplayed genders out there for people who aren't necessarily going to be people who want to play red black, or it's not great for their metagame because you know of whatever is being played around you, and um, kind of leaning into that idea of finding the people who are just doing things that make sense again, and especially in terms of content, like finding people who are you know, giving you consistently good information is going to be a really, really valuable thing to be doing again. And I feel like it's kind of the first time we're seeing that since, uh, you know, content and magic kind of fell apart over the pandemic. So, um, you know, just keep in mind who it is that you're trusting with your decisions, right? Who it is you're trusting to, to source you on info. Um, but there's a lot of great info out there, right? You can look at um, you know, Magic Online players who 
do really well in the challenges every week, right? And see how they're thinking about it and think like the decks they're playing, right? Even for people who play multiple different decks or someone who specializes in one, right? You can see kind of what their thought process is in terms of how they're tuning for what they're seeing. Um, and there's just a lot, there's a lot to gain from it being seasonal because you will get the opportunity to build that kind of, you know, very parasocial relationship with the way that they're playing magic and building their back. So. Mason. I don't think I have anything of real value to add, to be honest. I think y'all kind of hit the nail on the head. I concur with what you said. Yeah, I think that as far as like resources, you're going to figure it out. I think you're going to build trusted sources. I would encourage you if you if you feel like there's a trusted source to like share it in our Discord. Like let let the community know that like, hey, this person is adding value to me in match at the other end and like i i am not the type of person that like wants to shut down other content creators from being shared in my discord and i just want to be clear that like you know if, if there's somebody that's like really adding value to you i too am a magic player i too want to be always improving and i would encourage people to share that i would also say the data evaluation is something we didn't really touch on yet that i want to touch on really quickly in that um this is going to become really interesting because it, in the old days of PTQs, I remember there was like a week or two where Boggles won like three modern PTQs in a row in like Canada and America. Uh, and people were like, Boggles is broken. Oh my gosh, Boggles is the best deck ever. And I remember just being like, that's not true. I don't even know that it has good matchups against what it's going to be, have good matchups against. And data evaluation is going to be not just about what the data says, but to challenge the data in your testing and to come to your own conclusions based upon how you're building your decks and, um, you know, what, what configuration you come up with to fix the problem that's being presented to you. And... Um, I think using the data will be more important than anything when you get to this this level of granularity of, across players. Yeah, and I would just caution against calling... I mean, for me, I always think of it as like, those things, they're data points, but they're just results, right? Like when you see what won the RCQ that you like attended, but, you know, missed top eight of or whatever, when you know all the decks that were in the top eight for the last like, you know, three RCQs that happened in your area, those are all just data points and like there's more going on than what you're going to see just on the the final results. But I always am a, someone who stresses that understanding the macro of what's going on, right? That's what really gets important in evaluating what you're seeing um, when it comes to the data you're seeing. And because everyone's going to be seeing all those same, right? Everyone around you who's really engaging themselves, they'll see the same results and they'll see kind of the same metagames of rooms happen kind of understanding what it is that you should be responding to and how to respond to the information you're taking in is going to be a big part of it when it comes to seasons. But I wouldn't really call it like, I don't know. I would caution against feeling like what you should do is every week, look at what won or look at, you know, what the room was and be like, okay, because it's going to be exactly like this again, I can do this and take advantage of it. It's like, that's not really how it works. Or even, you know, saying like, oh, well, Red Black won the last, it's or like not Mono even... Green won the last three. It's not like, even like everybody's going to look at the data the same way that you are, right? Data evaluation is a part of the 
cohesive thing that you need to be doing. Right. And, and just understanding what understanding what is actually going on as opposed to what the results are is, is a very key piece of that. I, I, I would just caution against looking at what I, the results are and saying that that's data. No, that totally, totally fair. Really I actually think Mason was really good at this with, um, with five color, uh, in modern Mason, where you, you ignored things that didn't matter. If that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. like you were really good at that. How do you think that people can apply the lessons you learned in that to this? Um, there's a couple things. The, the first thing that kind of jumps out to me is one is to remember that like, like what Abe and you were just saying, uh, <laughs> just cause last week, you know, Grease Fang and Red Black were, you know, five of the eight top eight or whatever. Doesn't mean it's going to be the same next week. Doesn't mean those players are going to play it. Doesn't mean, uh, they're going to end up in that same spot. And so overcorrecting is like a really big mistake that players have and taking a really like granular big picture approach, I think is typically the best way to do things. And so, you know, if you have a strategy, you like the thing strong, making sideboard changes is probably a better way to go about things than switching whole decks, right? So for example, let's say, you know, Rakdos and Greasefang have been two decks that are super popular in your area recently, right? You maybe want to have, you know, another braid in your sideboard so you can fight over bank busters and grease fangs instead of doing something like i'm gonna play you know lotus field or whatever you think is the best step against those decks right um that might not be the best decision because there are other people in the room and they might approach so like if everyone's doing what you're saying and you're playing this constantly on musical chairs and you need to actually be at like some weird level or like you're doing you're responding to the metagame moving but also not falling for the pit trap the pit holes of this and just Having a good consistent deck is really good. Um, yeah, really can, I, can, then, I, can I pause you? Sure. I I like to believe that level four or even level three might not exist. Where like when you get that far deep, as what Mason just said, it, it's actually nonsensical. Like you're you're metagaming for a metagame that's metagaming. That's just inbreeding, right, Mason? Uh, I mean, it, it depends, right? Like, what is metagaming if not inbreeding in some ways, just in well, general? no, I'm, right? but that's what I'm saying, right? Like, you have a level zero, you have a level one, you have a level two. Are you not inbreeding by level three? I, I guess so. I I, don't know, I just would never participate that deep, I think. Uh, for the most part. <laughs> Mason would be like, this is nonsense I'm not doing. I think you're, 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 you're touching on my Yeah, I... I yeah, I guess I am attesting to your point. Yeah. There, yeah. <laughs> uh, but in, but back to the, like, you know, like making small adjustments thing. Yeah. Um, I, I think that one thing to really do is to think about things that can matter in your decks in ways that you can cover multiple matchups with certain types of cards and realize that that's going to be a lot easier in a format like Modern or Legacy than it's going to be in a, a format like uh, Pioneer, where the answers are not scaled to the same level as the questions are. And we saw this in modern back in the 20, you know, 15 to 19 era before MH1, uh, and especially MH2 in the 2020s. Uh, so it's going to be a little harder to find cards that can, like, actually cover all the matchups. But there are things that exist, and, you know, you can shift your strategy. And a lot of formats, a lot of decks in the format, sorry, do fold to pressure plus disruption. So, you know, that's what Rakdos kind of does. It's this bread and butter. You know, Rakdos is an aggressive mid-range deck that turns into a bigger one post-board in a lot of matchups. And, like, that is why it succeeds. So if you just didn't like that, you could go a really far away. So 
I think, you know, looking for spots where you can double up on your answers and get a lot of, you know, seven out of tens is a good way to go the distance. I love it. I, I want to talk about week-to-week adaptation before we jump off here. And the first thing that I want to talk about is, you know, we Abe, you and I talked about for this RC, um, and Mason, you mentioned it too, but, like, MTGO versus Arena and Paper, like, how how far ahead or behind, like, what what is the actual thing? Because, like, MTGO data, Arena... I mean, Explorer is a thing. People will use that to metagame in some variety. Like, uh, I think a lot of the tech that was discovered in Pioneer over the last year actually happened on Arena first in a lot of cases from what I've seen. I'm kind of curious how you guys think that this will shake out in the, I don't know, the this the seasonal MTG. Well, luckily, I have the definitive answer. So we don't even have to have a conversation. I just can read the answer to you. That's great. Uh, no, but jokes aside, I, I think one thing when you're preparing for week-to-week adaptation and you're seeing, like, let's say, you know, we're going to this next week, everywhere there's runner combo, it's crushing challenges, it's doing great, blah, 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 and you have an RCQ, you know, like, the next day, right, then you're going to be like, okay, like, uh, how do I – sorry. I got distracted by you moving. Um what uh, we, like if you're doing this? I'm sorry. I, I should I should pause and you can edit out. Sorry. If you're seeing something happen like that, remember that in the real world you have to get cards, acquiring them, getting everything. It's really hard. And so a common pitfall you will see happen at RCQs is players will see a deck do really well a couple days before an event on MTGO uh, or something like that, where they see a bunch of content creators promote it, and then they're over or over index the deck. And I think typically a good rule of thumb is that the week prior to the week of your event is sort of the metagame to expect. So, for example, um, if you are going and to an event, you know, and let's say it's this weekend's event, I might look at not last weekend's challenge, but, you know, the weekend before, because that gives people time to order the cards, get them in, have their stuff ready. And a lot of people want to have time to practice with the deck. So that lets people get time to get ready. So, and a lot of times when it comes to like week to week adaptation, I think you're actually going to be living a lot in the past. And while MTGO might be living in the current era, people have to get cards and acquiring them as a real thing. This happens with the RCs as well. So, that's sort of my thoughts on this. I, one, uh, because of the way the editing will work, I'm sorry for distracting you. I was agreeing with you uh, excitedly. <laughs> I apologize um, for, the, for the video listeners. Uh, but yeah, I just I just agree. I think I think Mason hit the nail on the head. Abe, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I before for for the listeners before recording, I I said that I had the definitive correct answer in a few sentences, and I do. So um, here's how this works: is that your paper metagame will go through phases that the Moto metagame has already gone through. What that looks like in terms of time frame, how far away it was from from when it happened on Magic Online, that is very difficult to say. But your paper metagame will move in slow but consistent chunks as people are like, oh, this deck is winning a bunch of the events I'm going to, I guess. I should be prepared for it. And then they will have that thing confirmed. They'll change and then continue to do that for a bit. 
that's really just how it will chunk out. And what you should do if you want to take advantage of this in terms of your week to week, much in line with what Mason was saying about not making big and drastic changes all the time, but rather making small, you know, hedges and and big, like like allow that to cover the range of things you need to cover um, and staying in the correct lanes is just understand what happened. If you understand what happened week to week on Magic Online and why it happened that way, you can then respond to what you're seeing happen week to week in your paper metagame. And there is enough stability in how slow your paper metagame works for you to identify the correct place to be. And that's just how it works. You should not really, you should not be like, Adapting I, to the noise of Magic Online when I wanna, it happens, I want to wait really for clear. it to happen in paper and then counterpunch. Uh, we had a we had a player that uh, I did coverage for. I don't know how many Utah RCQ or 1K events, and there was a person that was like, "Y'all need to stop just playing empty Joe deck lists." Like he was like adamant about it. I was like, "So yeah, that's true," but like not looking at them is like wrong like you need you need to know abe you just hit the the nail on the literal head uh i, I said i had nothing to say after mason said because I, I agreed with mason but i agree with you too where it's like knowing the why x happened because of y gives you z and you that you want to be on z but you also can't make z a force thing like you can't overcorrect for it um i think that's important but let's talk yeah, about it all oh go ahead it just all ultimately comes from understanding what your local rcq metagame looks like in the aggregate right like what is the most represented thing what is the way that like what are the things you're actually need oh, to be controlling for right yeah, like i i i was playing creativity before i was jumping off on the last season and we, all of ours are modern and i was like okay well I need to really focus on, I'm going to top it with creativity, but I need to be able to beat um, uh, green black in, in the top eights because there's going to be a green black player. It's a bad matchup. That is metagaming. Like three of our top eight or top 15 players were green black. And then by the end of it, like, you know, because that deck was not as good, like, they were left over. So I had to be able to beat this bad matchup. That's metagaming. Just saying, I need to beat whatever won the last challenge for my local RCU, that's not metagaming. That's you using a completely different result to dictate your current circumstances. Right. And, and I guarantee you, there's, there's going to be a time period, if you look at Magic Online, where you're going to see that there was a deck that tried to beat like either red black tried to beat this deck in pioneer and then you can look at how all the red black decks built themselves to do that or the deck that you're playing other decks tried to respond to by beating it in which case you need to see how your deck then adapted to beat those strategies right like there's just a lot of information out there on magic online because they move so quick and they are so much more agile than paper that you can use to use you can use to take advantage of what you're seeing in front of you in paper which is going to be different and that's just how it works that is going to do it for this week's Training Grounds. That is right. It is a Training Grounds episode. Mark it for those who really care about these style of episodes. Uh, it, it might be a goal on Patreon for me to do this for everybody. But with that being said, let's go to our Patreon question. If you're a patron 
of $5 or more, you get access to the Patreon question. It means every week we read one of the questions from the patrons. And then our bonus episode is just literally reading off all the questions, answering them, talking about them. It's really cool. Uh, Oni Boss says, how do you go about learning a new deck in a format you're familiar with? This is the flip side of a question that we got just two weeks ago on learning a deck in a format you're not familiar with. And I'm kind of curious how you guys do this. I'd like to go to Mason first. Mason, how do you approach this? Yeah, typically, if it's a format I really know, I actually don't need to play very much. Um, I mean, I, I play less than the average person in my position anyways. But um, if I know the format really well, I'll sort of be able to identify and see sort of what's strong or what's weak about it, and then I can work through it from there. Typically, once I, if I decide a deck is worth playing, it's simply because there's some factor or something to it that I can't quite seem to sort of think about how it would play out versus decks or, like, why it wouldn't be a better or worse or, like, it might not be exactly clear to me. And then I go about it with those sort of questions. And that's something that I think a lot of players do differently than I is that I'm, when I'm going to play, unless I'm just playing for fun, which is something I do do a good bit, but if I'm playing to learn, I'm sort of forming questions and having these questions, and then at the end of it, I'm trying to answer them. And, you know, ideally, I would do focused testing and not have to play, you know, leagues against crazy stuff. But um, if you can't do that, which most people can't, you know, just go in there and be like, okay, I feel like this deck would be, let's say, stronger than Rhinos because of this, right? Or maybe it's weaker than uh, Creativity because of this factor, right? Like, a good example right now is the Creativity deck in Modern. I like, you know, I picked it up and I didn't play it that much before I'm going to play it for my RCQ this weekend. And I was just like, oh, this is four color, but with a combo finish and it's able to end games quickly and doesn't lose the mirror, the mirror, quote unquote, because you were really bad against creativity as four color. And so to solve that problem, I'm just becoming the creativity deck and moving away from four color deck right now. And I just sort of like looked at things, identify the problems. And when I do play, I'm trying to answer those sort of problems and move forward from there. Does that make sense? It totally does. I actually want to jump on a bandwagon of like when I was the most successful in Magic. And it had to do with those like dedicated testing weekends or moments where I could really dive into like, I've already played this format a bunch. I know this format and now I'm going to try to attack it. And I'm not the only person that's going to try to attack it in different ways. And then we're going to challenge each other. And that has been how I went about learning a new deck. Like, uh, I, I think about learning, I, I mean, honestly, I think about learning Amulet Titan for the first time. That was like, hey, I'm gonna learn this deck. I want you to play whatever, like, whatever you want. Actually, Smash comes to mind in a lot of ways for this. And I know that people either really love it or really hate it when I bring up Smash. But Smash is like a perfect analog for this. Like, I've played an inappropriate number of Smash Ultimate games for a person that has played, like, 10 Smash tournaments. But if you asked me what I thought of a matchup on paper, I could tell you what it what I think it looks like. And the reason that I can do that is because I've played a wide range of characters and tried them out to try and figure out what characters I like and that, that vibe with me. And Magic is a lot the same way. If I know the format, I probably know the sections of the format that I want to fit into and how I want to attack the format. I unless the format's broken, which I think this question goes at the window 
when it happens, right? Like, if the format's broken, this question doesn't even matter. You should just play the broken deck. But if it's not broken, I need to fit, fit myself into where I believe the format can be attacked from and how I believe that I will best attack the format. And I would narrow my decks down to that. And then I would go through some kind of process to decide how I vibe with those decks. And then also how those decks vibe with the format. Because I think that will give you the best success. Ape? Yeah, I mean, I think that you guys both touched on really, really great, important things. I'll just say that something that I want to add to what you guys said, not only is it important to, right, if you've played the format and you understand what's going on in the format, you probably also, when you select the deck that you want to learn, know something about the deck, right? You have an understanding of why it is you're learning it. I would say that an important part of things is testing not only, like, what you... Like, not only trying to understand, okay, these are things I need to learn about how this deck works, but making sure that the things that you think are true about the deck coming into it are true um, and spending a little bit of time just kind of playing the games with it to make sure that it's all intuitive and, and clicking, right? Like, that's a uh, a really, really important piece of things that you don't want to overlook is as much as you might kind of know, like Mason's creativity example, you might know why it is this deck is strong and what it is about it that you, you know, want to be taking advantage of, but you need to make sure that that's still true when you're playing it in order for that to be the case that you want to keep learning it. Um, and you'll also get a lot of good experience out of, right, like knowing how to play the good matchups in addition to then learning how to play the tougher matchups. So, because if you're playing a deck and you don't know how to win the good matchups, you're going to be like, why do people ever play this deck? I had that experience a lot playing like Dredge in Modern for a bit, where I was like, I was just not getting it in terms of like beating decks I was supposed to be beating all the time. And like, I lost to all the time. That was me this week with, not this week, but last week with Creativity or maybe two weeks ago now, I was so lost. I was like, I don't understand. Like Mason had to sit down and like, he, he confirmed the things that I thought that like fixed a lot of my problems. It was, it was rough. Uh, YouTube says uh, it's random card. This is a repeat questionnaire it means that like come on guys you want your stuff heard you can either become a patron you can leave a youtube comment youtube comments are one of the best ways to support the podcast uh as they put us into the algorithm the the lords of the algorithm and it says invasion of is how do you say this word is it segovia segovia uh potentially fit into creativity um, so Invasion of Segovia, if you don't know, because the set just came out, oh, is two in a blue for a set. No, go ahead. I was just going to, I had it pulled up. I was going to read it. Go ahead, though. Oh, Invasion of Segovia is two in a blue for a battle. When Invasion of Segovia enters the battlefield, you create two 1-1 one, one blue Kraken creature tokens with Trample as the defense of four. And then on the back side, you get a legendary creature, Serpent 3-3, three, three, that says non-creature spells you cast have Convoke at the beginning of your instep. Untap up to four target creatures. So this is a card that did not make our pick two set review, but would have been one of my hopefuls. Um, 
I had lots of battles that I was looking at. This was one of two that I was the most excited for. And creativity was one of the reasons. I, I have a problem with this card. Um, I don't think creativity flips this card. And I usually think that its flip side is really good in most creativity decks. And I don't think three mana make two things. Like, they're just better... Like, there are two mana make two things. I, I My hope is that... You know, in in the right decks, it seems better like in modern than it does in pioneer to me. I don't know. What are your guys' thoughts on this on creativity? In pioneer, which is, I believe, where the question was, they say, I guess they say they don't they don't say the format. I assumed they meant pioneer. Sure. Yeah. So I mean, in pioneer, there are like. If you wanted to do this sort of thing, you could for cheaper. Because like Spencer said, you're not going to really flip it outside of maybe the Attraxa build. But the Attraxa builds only only want one target, right? Like you're not Xs twoing in Attraxa. Uh, so like... You know, hold, hold on. Uh, sorry, this is just a thought I had. I, I know I'm interrupting you, but I want to say this. I actually wonder if you played Goldspan Dragon with this card, if that would be worth it. Because it would just hit it. That was it. Oh, I see what you're saying. You would gold spend dragon does four damage to the right, battle. Yeah. yeah, but that's not like pioneer power level. Like I probably like, not. Probably not. I, I would assume Glorybringer maybe probably does it better than that, because at least Glorybringer could like but even then, yeah, just, that's even just like then. yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Uh and like I don't really want a three three that like lets me convoke more, right? Um I like I like this card much more in the idea of like a eight like a an eight pyromancer deck for example, uh, sure. that like uses the, the, the Todd Anderson deck. deck. Yeah, like one of those is pretty good. Uh, and then like in modern, I feel similar. But what, sorry, what I was saying before in Pioneer uh, was that if you wanted something like this that made two bodies, uh, you could do things like raise the alarm or whatever. And obviously that's not a color that the deck is in at the moment. But there are ways to generate two bodies that aren't on a creature. And so I'm just a little hesitant in this. And then modern, I think it's a little lackluster. I much prefer the red-green invasion, I think, in those decks. But yeah, Abe mean, has I... a Oh, yeah, go ahead, Abe. More cards don't make it than make it. That's always my thoughts. Well, yeah, that's definitely true. I also think that, like, if you think about, like, creativity specifically, because I played it on this deck, uh, I got to play the version of the deck that was, like, the Magnus Opus version this week. And... I, I this card definitely doesn't fit into that version, and uh, I think that we're gonna see creativity as a card that gets explored a lot in Pioneer as as the format goes on, that it is not figured out yet, and I I just I have a hard time believing that this is the way that that gets figured out. Yeah, I, I mean, I think inherently battles and playing a deck that does not want to have any creatures in it just doesn't hold on mess well. i i think that oh my gosh mikey is literally in the live chat right now i think the dragon's battle is actually crazy good well i'm just saying that like but that deck has creatures in it yes right yeah, you okay. yeah, I, yeah, you, yeah. I think if you're not playing like if you're playing a deck that actively wants no creatures it's yeah. putting into play the, it is not going to be good to play that the, with battles. As the two-mana Dragon's Battle would have been my literal slam-dunk hit in in this set. I didn't get to do it last week, but, like, 
And then after playing with it, I'm I'm convinced I I would be shocked if that card didn't see play in like multiple formats. Um, but you know, I don't this 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 card this card isn't bad. I think that like I think that this card has already seen Pioneer play, so like we're proving you know we're shooting ourselves in the foot. But I don't know if you want to. Yeah, about, I've seen it. See, oh, they also talk about double fit, by the way. Oh yes, yes. Finish finish the rest of the question, Mason. They also asked us about the card Borvergmos and Thibblethip. It's an expensive body, but it draws a card every turn. What we think could happen with that. Um, Borvergmos and Thibblethip, if you don't know, is two and then Teamer, so green, blue, red. Legend of Creature Cyclops Monculus, 6-5, and it has whenever this creature enters the battlefield or attacks draw a card, then you may discard any number of land cards. When you discard one or more cards this way, Borvergmos deals twice that much damage to target creature and then has one to blue, Put Borberg most and Philip into the owner's library third from the top. I think it's just a little too expensive. Um, and we talked about the other card in your thing in last week's set review, so I'm gonna skip that one. But I don't know how y'all yeah. feel about differently than Borberg. No, I, I agree. I, I thought it was too expensive. I, I, I wanted to touch on Invasion of uh, Segovia because one, it sounds like Segovia, which is you know the Princess Diaries place, but also like I asked if this card is already seeing Pioneer play. And so I wanted to discuss our thoughts on it. Uh, join the conversation. You join the Patreon Discord with $5 or more on Patreon. You know, the public Discord, uh, we had to cancel our event this week. This is a could be better on our part. I don't know. We, we talk about always improving a lot on the show. Um, but we actually, during our podcast meetings, also have a segment called Could Be Better, where we talk about things that we could have done better. It's not to hate on each other. It's not to you know you know down the podcast but it's like hey this could have been better and all of us missed the mana trader series and i will say personally i don't know how many you guys got but i got six plus messages from people that were like i'm playing the mana trader series i can't play your event and that was a huge could be better because i there were probably a lot of people that didn't message me or mason or abe and so one, I'm sorry to the people that are like, hey, I want to support CCMTG instead of this thing. Because you did that. And we... But we we could have done better. And that's that's our fault. So. Uh, that being said, uh, you can leave a YouTube comment. Get your comment right on the show. You can follow us on Twitter at CCMTG or uh, Sam Black at uh, for the wonderful, already mentioned on this podcast, uh drafting Michaela is going to take over for me full-time on Mythicast and I'm really excited for what she's going to do with an interview show I think she's going to do an amazing job she's already got guests lined up we're going to figure that out um, really cool you can like sub comment or review it's one of the best ways to support us at the show Mason if people want to find you where can they do it you can reach out to me uh, on Twitter at Mason E. Clark. You can find me each and every week over at Card Kingdom. This week I'm writing about Standard. You know, maybe a little goodbye until uh, the next set comes out. Not much more Standard happening there. That's a joke you see because it's a new set in a month. Uh, then we're going to have me over on twitch.tv slash Clark. You can find me over there. And then if you're interested in coaching, I do that full time. I have some openings slash, you know, we get you out in advance two, three weeks from now we can get you in. Uh, you can reach out to me uh, for that via Twitter DMs or uh, via my email, which is masonclark at gmail.com. Feel free to send a, you know, 
an email. If you have any questions, we can talk about it, have a little back and forth, just put in your description, something involving coaching. That way I know that, you know, it's a message about coaching and not some phishing email because there are so many of those these days. Uh, but those are all the major places you can find me. What about you, Abe? Find me over at twitter.com slash more nothings. Uh, DMs are open for people who are looking for coaching. Um, and you can also email me at more nothings at gmail.com for coaching. Uh, but yeah, that's where you can find me these days. How about you, Spencer? You can find me on Twitter at Spencer38H. You can find me on uh, Smash Through. We're probably going to record a podcast in the next week. Uh, we have a lot of podcasts planned. We've really been focusing on the always improving uh moments of smash as we get ready to kind of like really launch the podcast we were trying to do like a monthly podcast but i think that making that podcast as great as it's going to be in the late metagame that we're in uh has to kind of change so it's a really interesting podcast to do i do a weekly podcast with um patty b mtg teammate of mine on the constructors of utah team about uh nerd culture on need to nerd pod and then yeah that that's kind of it like i'm i'm trying to kind of cut back on a lot of things and you know twitter twitter is kind of one of them so like if you see me tweeting less i think that i got like a notification that i was on twitter substantially less the last two weeks that is on purpose but you know hit me hit me up uh the best the best place to reach me is probably the ccmdg discord or the he's a good media discord where I uh, I am constantly frequenting. Thank you everybody so much for listening. What did you learn this week, Apestein? Swag store beanies. Dude, I saw it and I was like, I, I, I'll send you a screenshot before we put it in the store because like, I feel like they're not what you're wearing. Like they're like the, they're like yeah, they're the Colorado cool, style beanie, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I feel like I know already. I'll have to look at them. Okay. The, like, Colorado, like, thick band. Yeah, yeah. I, I Like a robbing one. What? No, no just more of a toque. No, it's, yeah, <laughs> it is, like, Canadian. That's that's way closer, Abe. What does Sorry, a robbing one look like? Because they pull it over their face like a ski mask. Like, there are, there are some that go really low. That's just a ski mask. <laughs> no, I said like a ski mask. They go lower. They, like, go to your eyebrows. There's, There's no holes. Like, Apes. Yeah, Apes is, like, You're a You're just style blindly person. robbing a bank. You're like, give me the money. You gotta cut little holes in the ski mask. <laughs> Mason. I feel like you never robbed the I you know what I learned is Spencer's never robbed the store today. He just sounds like an idiot. He's like doesn't cut a hole in it at all. I don't never robbed the store. Yeah, my uh, my always improving uh moment that really comes sorry sir? What it's your what did you learn this week? Yeah, that's what I was I was uh my always improving moment um comes from sort of like there's a lot of different ways. I think to approach this uh, tweet that I had um, and like, it's a lot more applicable than I think I thought it was. And it's been interesting to sort of how y'all parsed it and sort of your thoughts on it too. And it's just really interesting. And so. Yeah. For me, my, my learning moment this week was kind of, it was actually the moment where I agreed with everything Mason said. And then Abe gave me more that I agreed with was like this moment of like, no, yeah, yeah, also, yeah, also, yeah. And I know that, like, sounds like, yeah, you're just agreeing with your ghost, but there, there's so much to seasonal MPG that I think that people don't realize that 
people like Spencer Howland are going to get on the same level of you on a lot of formats. Like, and you have to understand that the players that I respect the most in MTG are the players that were able to do that. They were able to qualify and consistently win PTQs through seasonal MTG, despite playing way less magic than their counterparts. Like those are the people that I looked up to. And so to me, like listening to Mason and Abe talk this week was like, oh my gosh, am I, am I the boomer? Am I now the boomer? And I already knew I was the boomer, but I, I'm so excited for this. And I don't know, hopefully that I, I can make it, make myself respect myself the way that I respected them back, back in my day. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you guys all next time with another episode of Constructed Criticism.